Hey Trojan fans, it's time to get into the huddle with the Peristyle Podcast. The Peristyle Podcast is your weekly ticket to USC football and recruiting news. Don't forget, you can download the podcast 24-7 on our website, peristylepodcast.com. And now, here is the host of the Peristyle Podcast, uscfootball.com publisher, Ryan Abraham. Hello! Trojan fans, and welcome to episode number 223 of the Peristyle Podcast. Today is May 28th, 2012. Happy Memorial Day to everyone out there in Peristyle Podcast land. We've got a great show for you, even on the holiday for the Peristyle Podcast. We've got Dan Weber coming up a little bit later on in the show, talking some USC football, going to answer all of your questions. We have Coach Harvey Hyde here in the first segment, a bunch of questions to get to, some interesting topics. People want to know about this USC Trojan football team. We do love to hear from you. If you have any questions or comments, you can email us podcast at uscfootball.com or you call 206-888-6755. Leave a voicemail and we will play it on the podcast. You can also go to peristylepodcast.com, our website for the Peristyle Podcast on the left side of the page. Click on leave a voice message. You can do it right from your computer. Well, wanted to jump into it. We have uh, Coach Harvey Hyde coming all the way from vacation land over in Catalina Island. It's a beautiful day over there for Memorial Day. It's going to be fun, but he's still taking some time out to talk some USC football on the Peristyle Podcast. We really appreciate it. Coach, how are you doing? Ryan, thank you very much, and happy Memorial Day weekend to everyone out there. Have a safe one, and it is a beautiful day here in uh, Avalon. And uh, whatever you're planning on doing today, barbecuing or whatever, have a great, safe day. And... uh, I'll tell you what, whenever we have a chance to talk football, Ryan, I'm ready. So let's get started. I love it. All right, we'll get into it. And uh, before we jump right into the USC football topics, I wanted to give a thanks to our sponsor, Southern California Tickets. If you go to sctickets.com, you need tickets for anything. No more Lakers, no more Clippers. But the Kings are still at it, so if you want to get some Kings tickets, obviously the Dodgers are hot. The Angels, I think, have won six in a row now, so lots of... uh, Sporting choices here in Southern California. If you want tickets for sports, if you want to go to the theater or a concert, something like that, you can go to sctickets.com. They've been nice enough to help us out over the last several years, and I hope you can check them out, and they can help you with your ticket needs. And Coach, I wanted to say thank you, and um, happy Memorial Day to you on this special day. I know you're taking some time out here of your your busy vacation time over there in Catalina, but... Uh, we weren't we weren't sure if we wanted to do the show today, but I think it's a nice little honor for the fallen Trojans of of years past, and people still want to talk about some USC football. So we thought we'd do a show. I, I agree with you 100. Uh, percent When we talked about it, I said we got to do it. It's part of what we do. It's entertainment. We play games on uh, holidays, so why not do a show on a holiday? Right. We can do the show. We can. That's a small sacrifice uh, for us. But I know we want to let you get back into things. So I guess we can uh, jump into some of these. Uh, questions right away. Um, let's start off. Eric had a question, Coach, uh, he, a.k.a. Brown Sugar. Hey, Eric, what's up going on, man? Uh, he says, do the Trojans have a strong candidate to replace Matt Khalil at left tackle? What do you think about the left tackle spot for USC? Well, uh, you've got a gifted young player. He's got great potential. He's got great athletic ability. I watched him closely in the spring. Um uh, Andre Walker. Quite a battle. Pardon me? For Andre Walker. Andre Walker, yeah. right. And uh, 
he he is he I I think he has the potential to be an All American. I'm just uh, you know evaluating him on what I saw. I think he needs to get a little bit more motivated, a little bit tougher. I think he's got to learn to play or turn his motor up a little bit. Got to get out of second gear and get into third gear and not only work hard in, as far as during the scrimmages, but work hard in individual technique and warm-ups and stretching and uh, and the whole package. He's got to turn into be a leader. On your offensive line, I think your left tackle is a key spot, as we all know, and you've got to depend on him, and he's got to take that responsibility as a left tackle, knowing what his duties are and what his responsibilities are. And If he does what he's supposed to do, the Trojans will have success, and in the future – he may have success in the NFL, but he certainly has the potential. He's big, he's strong, he's lost weight, he's got great quickness. He just needs now to grow up and become a man, and you always hear me talk about that term about shaving. Once he has to shave every day, I think he's going to be a tremendous replacement for Khalil. I really do. got great potential. I think they have him at the correct position, and uh, I think he'll do a great job. I I think you've got to motivate him and coach him hard i'd watch him every single play i mean you've got to watch all of the positions don't get me wrong but i'd assign someone to him a ga or even the head coach i'd watch him every play i wouldn't let him get away with anything any shortcutting cummings never loaf and all of a sudden he'll find out that well it's better to do it this way than the other way and all of a sudden he'll find it it's easier to do it that way and he'll become a great player I, do you think it's a positive sign? You mentioned the weight loss. I mean, he lost like 50 pounds or whatever it was. I, does that show somewhat motivation that he's able to come in and change his body that dramatically in the first year? Yeah, I do. I think it's a lot of the, it's not easy to lose weight. And you have to want to do it. You just can't be told to do it. But you could always sneak snacks in between or do things that, you know, you wouldn't be losing weight. And I think it has a lot to do with your endurance and being able to play a long football game. You can't be overweight and have the endurance that's necessary to, to play college division one football. You have to rest when you're carrying extra weight and getting down to, in, to the body size. He is, I think it fits his frame. Well, maybe even a couple more pounds would be great. It's not the size it's what you do athletically. He's big, he's strong. He'll get stronger as he goes along and spends time in the weight room, but uh, you can be too big. When you're too big, you don't have the endurance. You can't move. You can't regroup. You can't correct a mistake if a guy makes a move, but there's too much to move. There's too much body weight on you. So you have to be at a certain weight that you where you can control your uh, instincts, you can control your body, and you have the endurance to finish a game when it's fourth down on the one-yard line and it's in the fourth quarter and, or overtime. You want to run right behind him. Did you have any uh, players when you were at UNLV coach that came in in like the 380 range and you got them down to 320-ish or something like that? Did you did you have a, anyone kind of freaky like that? Well, we didn't have anybody at 380, but we did have some that needed to lose weight. And we had a training table, what we call a fat man's table. And uh, it, it's not that, <laughs> it's not a it's not a, to disgrace them or, or to belittle them, but it's where the athletic trainer. And a strength conditioning coach ate with them every day. And during camp and during the season, they had a special table that they ate at, and they were watched on every meal they had. And it just gave them a little bit of more of encouragement, not that they wouldn't cheat or take things they're not supposed to eat, but we made sure they ate all the proper foods they should eat 
so that they wouldn't lose their strength and conditioning along the way. But we had this table where they sat and they had to lose so much weight. And we would tell them you have to lose 20 pounds or 15 pounds. And once they met that, then they'd go sit at another table with their guys who they wanted to sit with. But it's important that you have uh, and you are conditioned. Uh, you got to look the part as well as play the part. And you've got to get yourself down where you can control the body weight that you have and you can play at that weight. All right. We had a follow-up from Eric. And this is a, a question that you, I think you will like, Coach, because you like the running game. He said, also, with all the injuries at running back, do you think the Trojans have enough backs to run the ball consistently to prevent them from becoming a one-dimensional passing team? I certainly do, and I think you, you have to run the football. You have to run the football. You can't change your philosophy. When they became a good football team last year, it was the second part of the season when they discovered, <clears throat> excuse me, Curtis McNeil and how it improved not only their uh, passing game, but the running game, and they became a balanced football team. And they've got to keep their running game. And how many backs do they have? How many do you really need? There's only one ball. <laughs> and uh, and uh, you can only carry it, you know, uh, Marcus Allen and the, and the backs in the past carried the ball 30, 40 times a game. Well, I think that uh, Curtis McNeil has that ability. He's not a physical back as far as a big back, but he's a tough back. He's tough to bring down. He's got a lot of heart. He always falls forward. I've never seen him get caught from behind. I think D.J. Morgan can come in and spell Curtis. I think he's a different type of back. He's a strider. He's a glider. He's a speed guy. And I think that changes the uh, tempo of the game. And he's a home run hitter. He did it in the spring game. He broke a long run in the spring game. He looked great doing that. So you've got backs that can come in. You've got Allen, who's more of a slugger and a, knock you out type of guy and then you've got also Akbar or Aguilar coming in uh, that if you need to play him at tailback for a year you can because now if Justin comes Davis and also if Isaac comes then in the next year you can move Aguilar back to receiver but I certainly think you have enough you know you don't have great players uh, always at one position but you got to make sure those players understand what their role is and they got to do it they just got to do it, and uh, sometimes uh, uh, they might have to play uh, a little hurt. But if they do, you rest them during the week. You don't beat them up during the week. You rest them. You get them ready. You get them in the whirlpools. You do what's necessary so that on game day, you're fit. All right, well, thanks for those questions, Eric. Uh, let's go to a voicemail question from Bob. It's a little long. We'd like to, if you can, when you do your voicemail questions, I like to keep the show flowing, you know, 30 seconds, 45 seconds, something like that. But I thought this was an interesting one, Coach, so I'm going to play it for you. Good morning, uh, Ryan. This is uh, Bob Verdugo, Covina, California. I've been a USC Trojan fan since 1968 when I would sit on my dad's lap and uh, watch the games. Anyhow, uh, how you doing, Coach? Gerard and Dan, great show, fellas. But listen, the reason why I'm calling is simple. I'd like to see the... Uh, 45th annual, or not annual, but the 45th anniversary of the football game in 1970 that changed America, or specifically the South. I guess what I'm trying to say is, back in the day, USC and Alabama played a historic game, and I'd like to see a home-and-home -home series between uh, Alabama and USC revisited. The first game in Alabama, quite naturally, uh, you'd have uh, a week-long celebration of food and music, you could even have uh, replica uniforms, you know, one-time usage, and uh, there could even be a parade. It'd be a nice, wonderful opportunity 
to see college football where it was and where it currently is today. And obviously the game here at the Coliseum, uh, basically you could have a golf tournament. Uh, again, one-time unis and helmets uh, to be worn for the game only. A week-long celebration and include all the you know past uh, Samoan players, uh, Latino players, even Asians, uh, even foreign-born players that have all contributed to uh, college football since 1970. And here at the Coliseum, I'd like to go one step farther and maybe even get Hollywood involved, where at the halftime show, it, if it's possible, that we could have a hologram uh, imagery uh, with the lights dimmed uh, low of both coaches on both sidelines of John McKay and uh, Paul Bryant. I think that'd be great, be wonderful. And, um, you know, again, it's, it's a celebration more than anything else of two great universities with two wonderful storied football programs. How do we make this happen? And fight on. Thank you. Hey, Bob, thank you very much for your question. I like, your, I like what you're saying. I really do think it's great. I, I think USC would be for it. I'm not quite sure Alabama would be for it. They like playing uh, John Mason or Steve Mason. Or, <laughs> I, don't, I don't know, uh, Bob Oles University or something. Not to make fun of the University of Alabama, but I think it would be a great, great traditional game. I, I think, I think, uh, I think yeah, if I can remember properly, Mike Garrett told me at one time he tried to get a game with them. And I and don't take my word for it, but I think. And uh, they declined. Um, but I think it'd be great to play that type of game. I think it brings back the memories of John McKay and Bear Bryant. You know, they were the best of friends, those two guys. I remember going to clinics, and they would both be speaking and they were just idols to us young coaches, just idols. And the games were great, and we paid each other by playing there and playing in the Coliseum. It, it was great. I remember the one year that uh, Bear Bryant came to the Coliseum and ran the wishbone, put the wishbone in and beat USC. And SC wasn't ready for it. The next year, USC went down to Alabama or whatever year it was and beat them down there in Sam Cunningham, the story of Sam Cunningham integrating the South uh, is still talked about. I think it's, it's it's a great rivalry. I'd love to see great games like that. I don't know if that will ever come about because teams are sometimes worried about, oh, if we lose a game, we won't be playing in the national championship and all of that. But I think that's what college football is about. I think you can't run and hide from competition. SC has never ran and hide from competition. I think Alabama has the type of recruiting classes now and the type of players that they don't need to run and hide any longer. I don't think Saban's the type of guy to hide behind something. I know they say they play a tough conference schedule, so they try to play uh, lesser-level teams in preseason games, but I don't think you can do that anymore. I think you've got to get out there and you've got to play. And I think that'd be an absolute great, great, great series uh, between these two. I tell you, it really mean a lot. Uh, in most cases, the way recruiting's going, it's Alabama and USC and recruiting. Alabama, of course, has more scholarships than USC, but USC will get through this and maybe someday. You know, you have to schedule these games 10 years in advance anyway, so it's down the road a ways. But I think, Bob, it'd be great. And as far as a special events uh, surrounding it, I think it'd be great. I like your idea about putting the coaches on the big video boards, going back in history, having special tributes to the players. 
I think that's all part of college football. You can't forget where college football came from. And uh, I agree 100%. Will it happen? Maybe. Uh, just depends uh, if, if, you know, Pat Hayden and their athletic director and both coaches agree to something like this. I, think- I know that. I know one thing. I know that Lane Kiffin tried to play Tennessee and they wouldn't play. I mean, that right, Ryan? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, I think, I think Bob felt that you had to pull Coach Hyde to uh, make this happen yourself. You had to do what? That you had the pull. You had the uh, the clout. So you could make this game happen all on your own. Oh, I could? I'd <laughs> yeah. love to be the promoter of it. <laughs> I tell you what, you would, the tickets would be tough to get. I'll tell you that. It'd be a great game. You know, a game like that could happen on a neutral field. I don't know. Maybe a one-time shot like down. You know that, how they have that opening game every year down in uh, Arlington and Jerry Jones's uh, stadium. I think yeah. this year, who is it? Michigan and... Michigan and uh, who's playing that game? Michigan and I don't know. Who's it, Mich- it was Oregon and, and Oregon LSU last year. I'm not sure who it is this yeah, year. I think it's Michigan and Alabama this year. Michigan oh. LSU. Uh, it would have to be one of those games, I think, if you want to get it on right away. But I know there's a big game there this year. Michigan and maybe it is Alabama. I'm not quite sure, but it's a big one coming on. Okay, well, we'll look that up for you, and then. Uh get to you by the end of the podcast let's go to paul in las vegas uh you know where that is coach so he said yeah he said on game day and prep days is coach kiffin quote unquote the man who can best prepare and execute the offense given our sophisticated plan and talented players or and he says and now i'm just thinking outside the box would hiring an offensive genius like bobby petrino just to do planning and game calling be appropriate. That's again from Paul in Las Vegas. Well, I, I, here's the way I feel. I, I think that Lane Kiffin, when Lane first came to USC, I really felt he should have an offensive coordinator. I felt that with the controversy going on, with all the sanctions, with all the media, all the attention given the program, I thought it was a big job for him to call the plays and tend to all the things that were going on. I really did. But now after watching him uh, the second year, which was last year, and his performance going 10-2, and two, starting to see him now get into it where it looks as though he can do it. Normally you don't see this on the Division One level because a head coach is responsible for so many speaking engagements, uh, post-game, pre-game, during the week interviews, radio shows, all of the different appearances you have to make meetings with the athletic director, conference calls with the tournament, uh, not the tournament, but with the conference. Uh, it's very difficult, but it takes time away from your game planning itself. But I think Lane loves to do the play calling. And I think that he would be, it would be very difficult for him to stand back and allow someone else to call the plays. And when you call plays, You've got to have a flow and a rhythm, just like players playing every down. You've got to have a, a reason to call a play. You've got to know why the play didn't work the last time. You've got to change blocking schemes. You've got to really be into it. And I think that he's into it too much to give it up. I think he has his play, a plan. He likes calling plays. Uh, and I think he won't give it up. And not that I don't think he should give it up. I'm just saying he enjoys it. Now, there becomes a time when you say, you know, I can't do it all. Recruiting, uh, calling plays, 
doing the necessary things that have to do with this team. And you do then turn maybe the running game over to one coach and the passing game over to another coach, and you sort of coordinate what they come up with. But he likes it. And if he likes it, you've got to let him do it because he'll second-guess the guy that's doing it. I called plays when I was in junior college as a, as a head coach. Uh, when I got to the four-year level, there were so many things to do that I hired people who I believed in who could call the game offensively and defensively. But I was in control of the game the whole time. I heard every play that was called offensively or defensively, and what I would tell the coordinators who was doing that, when we reached certain zones, you could pass on this down, you can't, or go for it, or I'm giving you two downs to get the first down. We're not going to kick a field goal, so you got two downs, get the first down, or all I want is three out of this series. Things so they could plan ahead. And the same thing with defense. Uh, don't blitz. We've got them down there. I don't want to take a chance of a big play. Or go after them. We can't stop them. Go after them. Go after them 100%. Don't worry about it. Play man and go after them. It's the only way we're going to stop them. We've got to get a sack. So uh, that's the way I did it. And I think Coach Kiffin likes calling plays. He's not ready to give it up. So I think he should keep doing it. All right. Yeah, we'll see what happens. It could be an offensive explosion this year, Coach. So I don't think people will be asking him to not be calling plays anymore if uh, USC starts putting up 50 points a game or something with all those weapons Matt Barkley has at his disposal. Um, Andy V is a first-time emailer. Thanks for emailing the show, Andy. And he wants to know, Will one of the tight ends move to fullback and play what Red Ellison's role was this past season? Guys like Junior Palme and Christian Thomas seem to be strong candidates for something like this. Well, they certainly could. They could do that and, and use him as an H-back. I think it's, it's good to have big receivers in the game where you cause mismatches. Uh, and I wouldn't be a bit surprised if that happens. I uh, just... I just think that uh, you've got to get your tight ends on the field. Yeah, I, you really do. You've got to get those type of players playing. You can't waste their eligibility. New England did it with two great tight ends, and look what they did. You caused mismatches, uh, corner routes, drag routes, uh, deep corner routes. You can do so much with two big tight ends. Yet you have great receivers outside, too. You could take a great running back like Farmer, except – you know, you could use him in a different role as far as a running back and as far as a receiver, too. You could take this kid, Agar, coming in. He's the type of kid that could do that. But I think you'd be more apt to take a Palm, who's a great athlete, put him in that type of position, and uh, teach him the same role that Ellison had. You really could. It just depends what you want to do with your offense. You don't want to have tendencies with your offense. You can't just put a guy in on certain plays. The defense, it gives a signal to the defense. These are the things they do out of this set. So you've got to keep a person in a position all the time, and you've got to move them around and do all the different things that you normally do. Otherwise, you give field tendencies, formation tendencies, down-distance situation tendencies, and that's the worst thing you can do today with computers because defensive coaches call their game plan on what your tendencies are if they can – find out what they are, personnel-wise or play-wise, formation-wise or whatever. So, yeah, I think they'll, they'll, they'll look at that. I think they should look at that, and uh, they probably will. And, Andy, too, uh, I think a lot of it depends on what some of Anuku does. If he can play the Stanley Havili role, uh, I think 
Lane Kiffin won't have any problem really just rolling with him as a, a one fullback guy uh, for most of the year. And they, they could move a scholarship guy, like you said, uh, that, we, that we saw with Red Ellison, and it worked out okay for him. He still ended up getting drafted. Or they, they'd move a guy over just to play a particular role, like when they moved Ross Cumming from, from linebacker. So you might see one of the walk-ons that's contributing jump in there as well. So there's definitely some options, but I, I think at least, Coach, if, if some of Anuku starts you know, really excelling in that role, they'll, they'll probably just roll with him the whole season. I agree with you. If he can play like he did in the spring, he showed me a lot in the spring game. He really did. I didn't know he had it in him. He's faster than what I thought he is. He had better hands than I thought he had. He ran hard. He was hard to tackle. I thought he had a great spring, and he had a great spring game. So uh, I wouldn't be a bit surprised if they go with him in that role. I was really impressed by him in the spring game. All right, yeah, me, I, I was as well, so we'll see. Wearing that number 31, too, so he looks kind of like Havili. Um, Andrew, we got a couple more we'll get to, and we'll let you go, Coach. Andrew said, uh, is number five unofficially retired at USC? He's talking about Reggie Bush's number. I don't know if it is. I really can't say. I know that SC gave up everything else. I mean, the Heisman Trophy and uh, they sent back and whatever else it was uh, attached to Reggie Bush. I don't know if they've retired it. I know no one's worn it. You told me that earlier when we talked about it. I think that if someone wears it, it'll bring up the Reggie Bush com- conversation and people will write about it and talk about it again. I think most people want to forget that situation. I think people want to move on. I know I definitely want to move on. So I think that number, number five, is something that if it isn't retired, they don't want to retire it because people are right about that. I can just see everybody talking about, oh, can you retire this number? And if someone wears it, I know people will say, why are you wearing that number? That's bad. You know, it brought bad feelings to the university. We went on sanctions, probation, all this stuff. So I think they're just better off doing what they're doing, just leaving it alone and move on and and if you have to wear it because you run out of numbers, just give somebody a double number. I think, really, that's probably what they're thinking. Now, are they? Do I know they're thinking that? I have no idea. I Just a guess. Yeah, and I, I, I think unofficially retired is probably a good way to do it because USC does only retire the numbers of, and we've talked about this, I think, last week on the podcast, you know, Heisman Trophy winners. Um, I think that's something USC could still control if they want to say we retired that number because of Reggie Bush's career and he was awarded the Heisman and you know gave it back uh, I'm not sure well I, I don't we can try to find out though for that about if it's really like officially retired or did they take that away just like they took away all the Reggie Bush memorabilia and things like that um, the thing if it is un, I, I would guess it's unofficially retired like Andrew's saying but here's how it can become un, un, <laughs> unofficially retired uh, there's a five-star running back recruit uh, you know, in Southern California somewhere, and he wore number five his whole career and wanted to come to USC wear number five. And I think if, you know, Lane Kiffin's a shrewd recruiter, and if he knows it's going to help him land this player, and he's, a, you know, the best running back prospect you've seen in years, and he wants to wear number five, I would think, Coach, he would probably be able to wear number five. Yeah, um, Maybe. <laughs> ah, okay. So you you say I, I can understand the saying, no, we don't want to bring that up. But if it's a way to get, I mean, they let Darnell Bing wear number twenty, Mike Garrett's old number, and that was retired. So, uh, I mean, I, I think if they really wanted a kid, that pulling a number out of retirement or you know make you know letting someone wear it, I don't I don't think it's out of the question. 
Well, nothing's out of the question, but I would try to discourage a kid to wear that number just because I wouldn't want him to be always compared to Reggie Bush. Uh, Reggie's a great athlete now. And uh, I think right now, if someone was to ask that right now in the situation and down the road, let's say down the road when things are, are forgotten and USC wins, goes to the Rose Bowl and USC wins a national championship and all the things that all the Trojan fans want to see happen, things are forgotten. And then uh, number five, no one will even notice it unless somebody writes an article on it, which they will. I mean, there's always somebody out there that notices that stuff and looks for that stuff. And they'll make a big to-do on it. But it'll be a one-time article. And uh, you move on. But, uh, you know, I if I was put in that position and uh, as far as getting a kid that he's got to be pretty good now, Ryan. Oh, yeah. No, no. <laughs> I'll tell you, he's got to be pretty good, okay? And Pat Hayden's got to agree to it, too. Uh, then probably they'd do it. Yeah, we'll see. Who knows? The recruiting world is crazy. They pull out some interesting uh, ideas, I guess, when you're trying to land special recruits. And uh, especially right now with USC down, uh, you know, 10 scholarships a year. Uh, so we'll see. But so far, the recruiting, recruiting season is going well. We'll talk about that with Gerard Martinez a little bit later on the week. We'll do a recruiting show on that. But, uh, Coach, thanks again for uh, coming on and sharing a little piece of your Memorial Day. I know you want to get back out to the sun and do whatever you do as the uh, – the unofficial mayor of Avalon over there on Catalina Island. So I'm sure your subjects are out there waiting for you. And uh, thanks again for coming on the show. Well, thank you very much, Ryan. And thank you very much for having the show today. I really enjoyed doing it. We want to thank all of our listeners out there for coming on in and listening to uscfootball.com and everyone out there. uh, Have a safe day. If you're listening today on Monday, if not, we'll look forward to being with you next week. All right. Thanks again, coach and everyone else back in 30 seconds. We're going to talk to uscfootball.com. Beat writer Dan Weber. Meet us on the other side of the break for more of the Peristyle Podcast. Tickets, tickets, tickets. SC Tickets is your concert, sports, and theater ticket source. We have the tickets you need to any event worldwide. Football tickets are now available. Call SC Tickets now at 1-800-888-7287, 1-800-888-7287, that's 1-800-888-7287, or visit us on the web at sctickets.com. SC Tickets, concert, sports, and theater. We now return to the Peristyle Podcast and your host, Ryan Abraham. We are back here on the Peristyle Podcast, and as promised, uscfootball.com beat writer Dan Weber is joining us on this Memorial Day. Happy Memorial Day to you, Dan. Thank you very much, Ryan. Glad to be able to uh, stop by and say hi to everybody. Yeah, yeah. It was, you know, it's a great day to remember the fallen troops and um, you know people that gave their lives for, for this country. And talked to Coach Hyde in the first segment, and we're like, oh, it's a holiday. Should we do the show? But we got we got to get out. We got to do it. We got a lot of questions. People want to talk about Trojan football, but we also want to you know say a special thank you to everyone that gave their lives for this country. You know, and you always think if you ever have a chance to go out to the uh, uh, USC UCLA baseball uh, series at the end of uh, the last one of the year, you know, typically, and if it is Memorial Day weekend, you can go to the uh, cemetery. L.A. Uh, you know, Veteran Cemetery right across the uh, way from Jackie Robinson uh, Field there. And it's uh, 
very moving, uh, very moving experience. Uh, I know I did that last year, going to uh, going over there, and uh, you just you really want to do something like that if you get a chance. Uh, it's just just something special on this weekend. It certainly is, and uh, well, let's uh, let's jump in there. That's actually a great point. That's a, a uh, been over there a couple of times, and it's definitely uh, sombering. But you know, it's 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 worth going over and checking out. Um, we got a bunch of questions, so we'll try to get through all of them. Theo wrote in Dan, and he says, "What are your thoughts on switching Kevin Green to part-time linebacker, especially when playing Smash Mouth teams such as Stanford or Alabama?" I'm not Alabama's not on the schedule. I guess he's assuming <laughs> USC might meet Alabama. In the, uh, the 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 national championship game. Oh, and one other thing uh, before we get into that, Dan, we talked to Coach Harvey Hyde in the last segment. He couldn't remember who Michigan was playing that first game of the season. It is Alabama, so Michigan play Alabama. Alabama. Yeah, okay. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, Kevin, that may not strength and hard work and all of those things are his strong suit. Uh, his uh, uh, movement, hip movement, for example, and and, and all of that might not. Might not uh, lend its uh, lend itself to um, to a linebacker. Uh, I wouldn't think. I mean, if he had the um, and and some of that is a is a factor of starting football pretty late and being as big as he is and strong and all of that. But if he had the the ability to step in at linebacker, he'd be an absolute killer defensive end at his size and strength and as hard as he works and all that. I'm just not sure that that matches his skill set, you know, as much as you'd like to have that size and strength there. Uh, uh, the, the, the movement and the way they're going to play linebackers with the ability to move and all that. And just, uh, I mean, I think he'd have a better chance of moving down to a defensive tackle than he would as, as moving up to a linebacker would, would be my, my take on his, uh, his physical uh, skills. All right. Thanks for that one, Theo. I, I agree with you 100% on that one, Dan. A lot of you know, a lot of ability. He just hasn't been playing football that long. And I'm curious to see what he ends up doing this year because they're going to ask him. I think they're going to ask him to do more than we've seen before. Yeah, and, and, you know, if he's the kind of kid, if he gets better and better and better and, uh, you know, improves on, you consider, you know, maybe fifth year of football right now, uh, who knows what the top end is for him. You know, as smart as he is and as hard as he works and as strong as he is, all the other things, uh, you know, he he would. It's just hard to hard to say where uh, where Kevin's going to end up. Uh, but uh, we'd love to see. He just couldn't be a better kid. Uh, let's move on to Robert. We got an international question. He says, "I'm a Trojan fan, living in Honduras. Uh, cool. I'll actually be heading down next week to uh, Belize. We're going for our year anniversary, Dan. So we won't have a show. Oh, just, great. Next, yeah, next week. So I'm going down." Sort of that neck of the woods. Uh, but he's a Trojan fan living in Honduras. I've been a listener since the beginning. It's awesome how long it's been going. He wants to know which uh, quarterbacks, pro quarterbacks, do you think Max Wittick and Cody Kessler resemble the most? You know, I've always said with Cody that he looks like, a, uh, you know, Drew Brees kind of, you know, that same kind of a guy with uh, – you know, escape ability and ability to move on the run and improvise and uh, uh, a very catchable ball, uh, not somebody you think of as having this, you know, cannon and all that, but certainly uh, good enough. I mean, that's an easy, easy comparison, I think. Uh, that just jumps out at you. Max Wittick, that's an interesting, uh, boom, boom, boom. Let's see about that. That's because we haven't. 
Max has been this sort of typical, you know, big, strong Orange County guy with a big arm. Uh, but uh, that's an interesting one. Uh, kind of, you know, I would say a little bit of a maybe a slightly smaller, you know, kind of a Carson Palmer guy, maybe. No one is going to come along with, with quite the arm, you know, the Carson head. Uh, I think his uh, his ability to run the ball, we've seen more and more of that, and that was always the thing about Carson that people didn't realize that he ran, you know, in the four six forty area, uh, and people just didn't understand, I think, how athletic Carson was. But uh, but that would be that would be you know somebody I, I I'd look at. Um, you know, yeah, I'll throw that to you. What do you? What do you I, uh, yeah, it's interesting. I'm trying to think of who. You know, it's hard when you haven't really seen them in uh, in game situations. You're, you're talking about, you know, kind of in a high school uh, deal. Um, you know, we got to see them play in high school and things like that. But, you know, now you're watching them just kind of on the practice field. It's tough to say. I think the, the one with Kessler, I, I agree with you uh, on Drew Brees. I think it's a little tougher with Wittick. He's not like a – he's not, you know, six six or anything like that. Um, but, you know, kind of maybe a little bit of shorter but athletic and stronger armed guy. I'm trying to think of who that would be. Yeah, and we haven't really gotten a scene where it's like his team and he gets to take over and uh, take off when he, you know, wants, you know, when he has to or, or, or whatever. So we, we haven't maybe gotten a chance. Kessler uh, has the ability more. I think when you're learning the offense and that, uh, if you're the improvisational sort of a guy like Kessler is sort of naturally, it's easier to show that than maybe it is if you're, if your game is more like Max Wittick. So I'm not sure that we've we've really gotten a chance to maybe see him. And I think Lane has pretty much said the same thing, that we haven't really seen where his game uh, can go. So uh, it's something to think about, you know. It's something for him to, you know, kind of show. Uh, where, where can his game take him? He's certainly gotten better and certainly gotten more comfortable, you know, with the playbook and with – you know, being in the huddle and all that kind of stuff. So uh, uh, I think we'll see some things this year that that'll give us a little more of an answer to that question. But but he, he certainly looks like an awful lot of guys that you see in the NFL. I mean, it's just you know he's kind of the classic looking um, you know NFL quarterback with the classic kind of looking NFL arm and probably better feet and legs than uh, that maybe we give him credit for. Uh, we know he's got them. If you remember the um, his his high school all star game and that he did an awful lot. Yeah. You know, with his feet and and moving around and running running the ball. And he did. You know, at modern day, it's just those kinds of kids with that kind of arm don't always get credit. You know, maybe for having those kind of feet. What What about like uh, not the personality, but Mark Sanchez, like physically? Uh, see, I think. Wittick is more the classic thrower. Mark, to me, always was the uh, looked like he if he would would have you know been one of those two sport guys and played on the you know and, and competed for the track team. He'd have been a javelin thrower. You know, he was <laughs> one of those guys that just tried to throw the ball through people. You know where yeah. he just and he got he got uh, a lot of extension, but he kind of really hit a sort of a low release point. Whereas Wittick's got that more stand up. Uh, classic stand-up quarterback, uh, throw the ball above your head, that kind of thing. Whereas Mark was that kind of real athletic, you know, get that real wide base as he, you know, turned the ball loose and just drilled it, you know, really got to kind of a 
had a wide stance, for example, and had uh, good escapability. Whereas uh, Wittick is is more that looks like more the traditional kind of uh, more upright quarterback. Whereas Mark was kind of this, uh, you know, hybrid sort of a guy. But I always thought of him as, you know, I'd like to see him throw a javelin because he had that kind of <laughs> explosiveness and that ability to release the ball really wide base and kind of lower. Uh, whereas Wittick's, I think, um, has the ability to, you know, throw the ball over the top more. Okay. Uh, fair points there. Let's see. Let's go on to Paul and Petaluma. He says, other than early enrollees uh, like Chad Wheeler, uh, Wilson, and Starr, are you aware of any other freshmen who are enrolled in the first summer school session? Um, and then any information or rumors about incoming athletes who still may have academic hurdles to clear? I do know that uh, Max Turek uh, is enrolled. So he was already enrolled in that first summer session. So I, I think it's any of the guys that graduated high school, not early, early, but like they were a little bit early. Uh, sometimes, you know, and sometimes graduate in June. The other guys are early May. Those guys could enroll. So I know of Max Turek already being on campus, but I'm not aware of anyone else. I don't know if you are, Dan. No, yeah, I'm not. And, and it, it almost, you know, isn't a big deal anymore because you know they're going to be enrolled for one of the two, you know, summer sessions with the, all the, you know, kind of the regular guys being enrolled pretty much unless they've got, you know, they've finished all their all their, uh, you know, things that they need in the summer, pretty much being enrolled for both summer sessions. Uh, uh, you don't think about it as much anymore as to who's there and who's not. But uh, I guess we'll uh, we'll certainly know uh, when we uh, we see the first guys that show up for the uh, uh, summer workouts, the kind of voluntary throwing workouts and that, and then we'll we'll have a uh, I think a better idea. But uh, I think basically. Everybody will be there unless they've got an act. And, and, and we really haven't heard much about uh, that much in terms of high school guys that, you know, signees that are have academic issues still hanging over them. But uh, that's the only thing I think that, you know, keeps the kid maybe from getting here uh, at least by the second summer session. So, uh, but it's certainly something to look at. It's not something they talk about very much, but uh, you can kind of figure it out as it goes along. <laughs> Yeah, read between the lines a little bit, and we, we'll figure it out. So uh, let's go to Roger. He said he has a question on George Farmer. Have you seen any indication he's making real headway in his academic challenges so far? What is your opinion or knowledge in respect to his health issues? And do you have any opinions on whether you can expect some real progress from him as far as seeing him on the field? Well, I actually talked to him about both of those things. And he was, I think, kind of embarrassed about uh, the pro- academic probation and and just said, man, you know, that'll never happen again. I don't know what I, you know, how that happened, but that's not a problem. Uh, and he was, you know, during the, you know, second semester was, don't even, you know, it's not even always worried about, you know, I'm like, taking care of that. I know what I didn't get done, didn't understand how to do some things. And uh, he said, certainly that's all taken care of. Uh, physically, Toward the end, I think he got very serious about not being able to participate in uh, spring football. And I think he he talked about all the things he has to really understand about his body and about, uh, you know, loosening up. And, you know, he and it wasn't that he wasn't trying. I mean, if you would go by before practice, he was the last guy getting that uh, massage and rub down and loosening up 
uh, on the tables between uh, Cromwell and uh, and Howard Jones, and and it still might not have been enough. Um, you know, when you've got a really heavily muscled, uh, you know, dance man, uh, you know, it's the same thing that all those guys in the Olympics and all those guys at the NCAA, you know, championships and that he have to deal with, and a lot of the USC track kids do as well, is uh, you just got to know your own body in ways in which uh, maybe the more more limber, lightly muscled guys don't have to think about. You just got more to pull. And I thought it was interesting that the two most muscular and guys with real speed, uh, Buck Allen and George, were the two that really had issues. They were also the guys that ran the fastest 40s in the uh, – uh, actually, they kind of ran them in the winter, but uh, or before they really got into spring. Uh, so, uh, you know, it's an issue. It's one of the reasons I think some teams don't run 40s all the time because uh, they don't want to take that – that chance of kids just putting that little extra into it. But I think by the end of the spring, when you talk to George, I think there was a focus about both of those aspects that you hadn't seen before. And it's hard. If you're as talented a young athlete as he's been, uh, and not to say things come easy, you still got to really work hard at it. Matt. But you're not pushing yourself in a way that he has to pretty much every day at this point. And, uh, uh, I think he's learning what it means to, you know, compete at the level he's competing at at USC. And, you know, you, there comes a time when you, you sort of get it. And uh, I think that was that possibly happened to George in both aspects uh, in the spring semester. So I'm, I'm fairly encouraged about, about, uh, about him. He's got some great role models, to say the least. Um, just if you just limit those role models to Sarah High alum, uh, he's got some great role models. So, uh, but he's coming from a different place. He's got a different set of, of uh, you know, physical tools, and and has done it differently uh, over his career. So it's, he'll be. I'd be an interesting thing to watch is how does uh, you know George deal. It's not always easy. You know, you look at some of the great athletes that have come into USC in the last ten or twelve years, and it's not always been easy for him uh, to uh, figure out how to use all the all that athletic and all those athletic gifts. So uh, certainly something to watch, and those are excellent questions. All right, uh, let's move on to Donald in Florida. He's USC class of 1990. Uh, so this was about the Haiti trip, uh, Dan, and and you wrote some really great stuff. Uh, about that, um, about the USC football players, 16 of them going down to Haiti. Uh, but this, I thought this was an interesting question. He says, now while I I'm trying not to let my cynical side affect me too much, I do wonder about NCAA repercussions. I can just imagine the NCAA saying that the cost of the trip was an improper benefit and the sponsors given violate the amateur status of the players, i.e. the Colorado skier a few years ago in the Olympics. I'm sure the USC Compliance Department cleared it 100%, so I was wondering if you can explain what needed to be done. Was there any... NCAA issues with the USC players going to Haiti, Dan? Well, I know there was a lot of work and a lot of back and forth between USC and the NCAA and uh, a whole lot of things that had to be made, you know, made very clear in terms of, uh, you know, like airfare. Okay, who's paying for it and exactly how they're paying for it or kids going out to get sponsors and, uh, uh, you know, to underwrite the trip and things like that. And I think, you know, I think there was probably much, much, much more 
back and forth between USC and the NCAA than we can probably imagine, or that USC, you know, the USC, like, you know, Les Barkley, uh, who really was the, you know, the inspiration in the, you know, the Barkley family and the, you know, they've done this themselves a number of times and they thought, you know, they extended the opportunity to, you know, these USC players all of a sudden changes everything in terms of how the NCAA looks at it. And I just don't think they probably wanted to focus all that much on uh, on the back and forth and the fact that they, you know, had to change at kind of the last minute when they were going uh, based on, you know, when summer school started and all that. So I think there was a lot of it, and I think they – pretty much cleared everything now i know if you want to be super cynical you can say yeah well the ncaa cleared oj you know mayo before he got here too and says yeah he's fine and then all of a sudden uh, that didn't uh, seem to apply anymore so yeah you can be be cynical about the ncaa and the ncaa deserves people to be cynical about them uh without any doubt but i think usc you know did everything humanly possible to make sure uh that this was exactly as advertised. And it's obviously to think, oh, this is an extra benefit. It just, they they couldn't even begin to try to, I think, um, say that that wasn't the case. They, they, the NCAA's got enough credibility issues right now to to not want to go there, you wouldn't think. I mean, and, and, you know, I don't want to be cynical either, but I'm reading stories this last week about Michigan's football players who were, you know, came out to Pasadena and worked out with uh, uh, the Navy SEALs for, I think, 22 of the, you know, football players. And I know it was hard work. It was training and all that. But that one looked like it might be a little more closely related to football development and uh, a nice trip to the West Coast. And I don't want to be cynical here because you don't, you got certainly want to give the Navy SEALs their due. And I'm glad the University of Michigan gave him their due, and Brady Hoke, you know, coached at San Diego State and all that. That, to me, looks like the kind of trip you'd have to spend even more time with the NCAA, <laughs> making sure they understood this wasn't just, you know, a nice trip to the West Coast uh, where you, you got some work in uh, for the benefit of the players. Um, so I would think USC doesn't have a lot of, a lot of problem there. All right. Uh, thanks for that one. Let's see. That was from Donald, class of 1990. Let's go to Chuck in Florida. We need our weekly walk-on question, uh, Dan. We always have these. He basically wants to know, what's a walk-on, and how does their eligibility work? Uh, just kind of explaining where they don't – a lot of times people get confused, Dan, if the walk-ons are counting towards scholarships, and obviously they don't. But um, how do they work as far as if you – you know, do you get four years, five years, a redshirt year, all that kind of stuff? The walk-ons get the same sort of eligibility time limits that uh, scholarship players get. Yeah, I think they absolutely do, and I think the the big difference is, uh, uh, you know, was a walk-on uh, recruited in the same way, you know, that the other athletes are. Obviously, it's, they also don't get a scholarship. Uh, they don't, you know, get the benefits from the training table and things like that. Uh, but uh, uh, but you do have the preferred walk-ons where, where they you know do give you help in terms of um, you know getting into school. You don't have to try out things like that. Uh, but um, uh, essentially, I think all of the uh, you know the redshirt issues and all the other eligibility issues are exactly the same. For example, I think Zach Kisner, who transferred in from San Diego State and has gotten his degree, 
and he had a um, couple of lingering. Uh, he's, he started out as a quarterback in San Diego State, and then a baseball pitcher, and, and uh, you know, damaged his arm. And then he got really, you know, he's at like 265 pounds now, and he's a terrific practice player for USC. Got in some games last year, and I know he's requested now the extra year of eligibility. His eligibility ran out at the end of the spring semester, and he was practicing uh, in the spring, and now he's requested it, you know, uh, because of injuries and after his transfer from San Diego State for, uh, uh, you know, the red shirt, the medical red shirt year. So we'll see if he gets it. Um, he would be a, a real plus to have a smart veteran kid, you know, uh, uh, just a great leader on the, on the practice field, uh, out with uh, with USC, but the um, whether he was a scholarship player or not, uh, all the uh, all the eligibility issues are exactly the same. Okay, thanks for that one, Chuck. And we got one last one, Dan from Troy seventy five. He says, "I fully agree with the points raised last week about USC needing a women's softball team. However, at the same time, I have to say that a men's soccer team is way overdue. I've heard rumors that the sports arena might be replaced by a." Uh, purpose-built soccer stadium seating 25 to 30,000. What does SC have to do to overcome Title IX objections to having another men's team? Yeah, great question. I, I don't know how they overcome that. I mean, there is that comparability issue. Uh, where would they, because they'd have to come up with at least one more sport um, if they added, uh, added men's soccer uh, to balance out, you know, the women's numbers. And, um, uh not sure what other opportunities they would have uh, to balance out. I mean, I think it's easier when you've got the 28 or 30 sports or whatever that a Stanford has, but when you're under 20, like UC, USC has, uh, that makes it harder because any one new team added for the men throws you, you know, farther out of kilter in terms of, uh, you know, total numbers. So, uh uh, that's a really good question, and you're right. Uh, men's soccer, you know, is overdue at USC, and uh, and you wish you could you could balance out men's soccer with men's soccer and women's softball, balance out scholarship-wise. Probably number of bodies on the team, probably not. You'd have more on the soccer team, you would think, than on the the women's team. And it's one of the issues. I will say this: it's where Regulations like Title IX go wrong. For example, uh, players or athletes that get often get penalized under Title IX, for example, are walk-on football players. Because uh, and studies, study after study has shown this, that it's far more likely, far easier for for you to, a college to get men to walk on in their sports than it is for women. It's just one of those things that's different. Women. Uh, aren't as maybe interested in being walk-ons as men are. So what happens is, in order to make them comparable, they have to knock off the number of walk-ons, for example, that they can allow in football because they can't find enough walk-ons for the the women's teams. And, uh, you know, you can say, hey, Title IX was, you know, was well-intentioned and all that, but there are some specifics in terms of essentially unintended consequences from – from uh, you know a, a law like Title IX that that really, I mean I was covering Purdue one year, and uh, 
we had a kid from our local high school who was a sports editor in the, at the uh, uh, Post Tribune in Northwest Indiana. We had a kid who had become just like the best cover guy uh, on the Purdue uh, Purdue football team and walk-on kid. Loved football as his life, and he got after like I think his junior year, he basically was told. Uh, that the way the scholarships numbers worked out and what have you, that they couldn't have any more walk-ons. And he lost him. He didn't need a scholarship, didn't want a scholarship, and was told our numbers are out of whack and we we have to cut you know the walk-ons at this number. And here's a kid who had started on every kickoff for two years and lost his ability just to be on the team because they were gonna, it was going to throw the – because Purdue was a place where they had a lot of kids that wanted to walk on Jeez. on the men's teams. So I was, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm kind of soured on the way they figure out the numbers. Uh, but that's why now I think basically I think 105 is the number uh, for uh, men's football pretty much everywhere. I, I think that is the number. They have a number now. They used to not have one. But uh, so, yeah, comparability makes it tough in terms of adding sports to make sure you you keep that balance going. I read an interesting article over the weekend. I cannot remember it. Uh, man, I wish I remember who wrote it. Um, but it was it was kind of a, a calling out of people blame Title IX quite a bit when you're talking about these things. And, that, you know, when you talk about baseball and you're seeing, like, USC baseball team struggling the last several years and they have, I think it's 11.7 scholarships right. to, to hand out. The 11.7, like, that doesn't come from title nine that comes from the ncaa and there's there's really weird limits of like why do some sports allow partials and why do some not and it's like they're trying to keep everything in balance but even on the women's side of sports where like there's some sports that are fully uh you know like crew like man you can have like a whole bunch of people on crew scholarships and they were you know and if you have equestrian like there's these certain sports that have high numbers of scholarships and and it does seem to have to do with how much money, you know, it, it was almost like, well, the NCAA can make more money on this sport so there can be more scholarships here. It put a lot of blame on the NC2A as opposed to Title IX because the, Title IX doesn't say that, you know, you can only have 11 and a half scholarships for, for men's baseball. Uh, that's coming from the NCAA. So it was a really interesting article. I'll, I'll try to find it out but, for you and post and it. I, I, uh, yeah, and I also would like to blame the uh, universities, the conferences, lawyers uh, in general, basically, because a lot of that is precedent-driven uh, because, you know, people take them to, to court and then they say, oh, we don't want to keep defending these cases. Therefore, uh, and, you know, the Department of Education in terms of how they look at things and all that. I mean, it's a it's a big bureaucratic you know, to some extent, I think bureaucratic boondoggle in terms of uh, of uh, how it's administered, and I think a lot of it is just to say this will keep us out of court. Nobody can sue us if we do this. Uh, you know, we'll be safe and all that. I will like to add one thing. I keep seeing on the P um, that everybody who says USC can go back to where it was in baseball, and that the number of scholarships isn't a limitation on a private school. And they cite uh, they cite Rice, they cite uh, Vanderbilt, they cite uh, you know Stanford, for example. And none of those schools are in the same situation USC's in. I mean, they really aren't. And people have to admit that USC is surrounded by all of these great college baseball programs. You know, from 
a private school like Pepperdine to, uh, you know, Cal State Long Beach and Cal State Fullerton and uh, UC Irvine. There's other schools that are in areas, in metropolitan areas mostly, where they don't have the same kind of competition. And essentially, kids who play baseball in college, has the high, it's the highest number of athletes at a, in a particular sport who think they're going to play at the professional level. Baseball players, they go to college, but they go to college in order to play professional baseball. And you can get prepared just as well at uh, UC Irvine or Cal State Fullerton or Cal State Long Beach for the major leagues as you can at USC. USC has no advantage. If you're a kid growing up in central Tennessee, you are much better prepared for the major leagues if you go to Vanderbilt than if you go to David Lipscomb, for example. Those schools, or if you go to Rice, you're much better prepared for the major leagues than if you go to Houston even. Uh, so it's not comparable, and, and people ought to throw that out of their minds. USC has a, a unique challenge because of all the great college baseball programs in Southern California. It's, it's, it's one of a kind. And to say, because Stanford does it, where else are you going to go in Northern California if you want to play on the best baseball, other than Cal, obviously, but they've got two. Uh, and there's so many more in Southern California. It's really difficult. I mean, UC Riverside got a good program. I mean, there are just so many good programs where you can get just as prepared for the uh, major leagues as you can at USC. So, uh, and the difference with USC and softball, if USC started softball, girls are not going to college to play softball to play pro softball. They're going to college to get a good degree. So USC has an advantage there. So if they start softball, there's an advantage. If I walk in you know, recruiting you and I'm at USC, I've got a better shot at you than if I'm at, at, at Long Beach or Fullerton because of, the, of USC. That same advantage goes away completely when you're talking about men and baseball. I just wanted to get that on, on the table because it's really different. And USC, it, just getting the right coach, sure, that'll help, and a lot of other things. But USC has a unique challenge in baseball. Obviously, it has the greatest tradition in college baseball historically. That makes it even more of a challenge, I think, in, in some ways. So uh, just wanted to throw that out there, even even though it's uh, maybe not, not football-related. I've seen enough, you know, posts recently, uh, you know, when they look at this this baseball season and, and uh, USC finishes, you know, second from the bottom in the Pac-12 and said, you know, USC should be able to get back to the top. Until they get enough scholarships uh, so that you can have a real baseball team, uh, the scholarships, for example, in softball are much closer. You can have the same pitcher pretty much all year long. Yeah. Uh, might have to have one backup. Basic college baseball, you need you know six pitchers. Uh, it's just it's a whole different animal, and uh, it's not that comparable. And it's it's a gigantic challenge, uh, you know, for USC. And I'm not sure, you know, what the good answer is, uh, considering all those other great programs in Southern California. It's it's a very difficult issue. Excellent points, Dan. Uh, well, thanks again for coming on the show and uh, sharing some time on this memorial day and i just want to remind people next week i will be uh out of the country we'll be on secret assignment as coach harvey hyde likes to say so we will not have a peristyle podcast it's our my year anniversary with my wife and we're going to be gone for a little while uh but i will try to do a recruiting blast show probably on wednesday of this week uh gerard has been 
uh, really under the weather and uh, is not feeling good at all. But I'll, I did the show myself last week. Hopefully he'll be better and uh, we can do the show together. If not, we'll just I'll just answer your questions myself on that Wednesday. Um, and then I'll be gone for about a week and we'll come back in, uh, in two weeks and, and do the regular Peristyle podcast again. But thanks again, Dan, for uh, coming on. Thank you, Ron. And hang in there. If you do it all by yourself, uh, heck of a job. Oh, <laughs> heck of a job. Th- thanks. Okay. We're going to have come on, okay. too. All right. Bye. Take care, Dan. Thanks. Everyone else, thank you very much for tuning into the Peristyle Podcast. We'll see you on Wednesday for the Trojan Blast. And then a week and a half after that, we'll be back with the regular podcast. You've been listening to the Peristyle Podcast presented by uscfootball.com. Be sure to tune in next week for the latest news on Trojan football and recruiting. And don't forget, you can automatically download the podcast directly to your iPod or MP3 player for free. Just click the iTunes link on peristylepodcast.com or search for Peristyle Podcast at the iTunes Music Store.